I was considering using the marker board again tonight to try to help you orient yourself a little bit, but sometimes I think it might be a distraction. We have been finished, we're finishing up our times and seasons. We are getting very close. I think next week will be our last week on it, on this study. And we are, we looked last week at dating Christ's death and why it mattered, or not last week, two weeks ago, dating Christ's death and why it mattered. That uh, if prophecy is focused upon, it is the pivotal date in all of prophetic literature. Um, when you see all of Daniel pointing towards it, all the Old Testament pointing towards it, we see it then changing history from then forward radically. And so rather than focusing on Christ's birth, we ought to be focusing on Christ's death. That is the one that we saw in Daniel, that we saw correlated with the order to rebuild the temple, uh, the temple that Jesus himself was the one who walked in that temple. And so the order to rebuild the temple was tied to Jesus Christ in that fashion uh, because that was the temple where they would have had opportunity to be introduced to the Messiah and where they rejected the Messiah. Because remember, most of that centered around the Temple Mount. And, of course, the crucifixion itself was outside the gates. Um, but the condemnation began there in and around that. In fact, the trial area would have been um, south of the Temple Mount. The crucifixion area is north of the Temple Mount. Uh, the trial with Pilate would have been west of the Temple Mount, so it's just all the way around. And, of course, the arrest happened east of the Temple Mount. So if you just kind of follow that, it, it's, everything is centered right around the Temple Mount, the events of Christ. And so the, the connection between Christ's death and the rebuilding of that temple uh, is understandable, why God prophetically linked those together. Uh, tonight, we're going to go from a different direction. So we went from prophetic statement with the order to rebuild the temple. We, again, have some problems with the exact dating of that. We have some good ideas. I just threw one date out there, the earliest date. So we can have the earliest time, and we can mark, okay, from this time on, we, we have uh, this many years before Christ's death. And uh, whether that was the exact year or within a few years, certainly within a couple years, we know it's within three to four years of that date, that we can now correlate that and look for the date of the Messiah's sacrifice. So we went from, from backwards forward, in other words, from, the, from prophecy toward the future when it should have occurred. Today we want to look at that same issue, but we're going to do it biblically from the Gospels, from the people, from the events happening, and work our way from that direction. So that brings us to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you go online, you will have all kinds of people because everyone has, not, there's only four choices, but you have four choices of who you want to emphasize in establishing when did Christ die. Now, uh, we're going to get into something that's going to say, well, it doesn't matter. Uh, but it does because of what the implications of it down the road, uh, because of what we know about the seasons of the Jewish calendar. 
And so we've had people have as late a date by looking at the Gospels as 36, as late as 36 A.D. of Christ's death, as early as 27 for Christ's death, uh, and any number 30, 33, these are the common dates that are brought forward. You might say, well, how do they come up with that? We know exactly when a lot of people died. Why don't we know exactly when Jesus died? Well, the gospel writers tried to communicate that to us. But again, we have some problems, and we've encountered those problems throughout this whole study, right? The problem of what's a full moon? I'm sorry, what's a new moon? Define a new moon. We had problems with that because the Old Testament makes it sound like the new moon is the full moon. We looked at creation all the way through. And that shifts all of the events of, that we think of the modern Jewish calendar that counts the new moon as a dark moon instead of the full moon. So everything shifted two weeks. You say, well, why does that shift matter? Well, it matters because that sets a time frame for Christ's death. We know that Christ's death was correlated with Passover. Well, if we are celebrating a Passover that's two weeks later than the Jewish Passover of ancient times, then we're going to be off. Say, well, why does that two weeks matter in our celebration of Christ's death, burial, resurrection? Well, it doesn't matter that much, but in the dating of Christ's death, it does matter, as we're going to see. The second question and problem is, what day of the week did he die? And you might say, well, I thought he died on Friday because we have a good Friday. And you'll find plenty of websites that will do a lot of work to try to support that Friday was when he died. And to do that, of course, they have to manipulate some scriptures. Uh, they'll go, they'll, the ones that are hold to a Friday death will emphasize Luke, for example. Uh, because in the, in the description of the day of his death in Luke, it makes it, pretty strongly apparent either Luke didn't really comprehend the Jewish calendar or um, it makes it seem like uh, that Christ died on a Friday. But you go to John and you go to the Gospel of John, John makes it pretty clear that Jesus Christ died on Thursday. And we'll talk about that a little bit. Now, what do we have to do if we change the day of Jesus' death? What does that do to us? Well, it changes the years that are available to you for you to, to schedule or to date Christ's death. And so because the day of the week tells us, because we know the full moon schedule, we know the new moon schedule, we know the schedule of when Passover would be year by year. Because it's tied to the movement of the moon, we can know that going right back. We can just say, on this year, this was Passover and it goes from this point. Then you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread and forward. So we're going to look at the Gospels a little bit. You say, well, how can John and Luke be so far from each other? Well, first of all, we have two disciples writing. Matthew and John are disciples. So they're giving their firsthand information. Mark um, is really giving us what we believe is Peter's view because he was related there to Peter, and we have Luke, who is essentially a Gentile historian, writing it to a Gentile, and that matters, that he's writing it to a Gentile, Theophilus, he's writing it to him, 
trying to tell them about the life and ministry of Jesus. And then he writes the sequel, which is the book of Acts, which is the life and ministry of the apostles. Uh, that first, uh, not century, but the first, uh, not even a full generation really. But that onset, that birth and the beginning of the church. And so Luke's perspective is very different from Matthew, Mark, and John, even though Luke is one of the synoptic Gospels, so it attaches itself to Matthew and Mark. So if you read Luke and Matthew and Mark, they look very much alike. That's why I call synoptic. They look alike. That's what synoptic means. Optics and sin means look are, are alike. So they look alike. So these three Gospels look alike, and John's is significantly different. John would have been the last one written. And that's important to me because John had the other three available to him to look at. And I would consider that what John was doing is say, I want to fill in some gaps. And I want to fill in some misunderstandings that may have come out of these other three Gospels. So John doesn't really give us a lot of the same material that we see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, because he's writing much later. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are already uh, written. They are already distributed. Uh, most believers would have had some access to that. Possibly not Luke as much, but certainly Matthew and Mark. Mark's being the earliest of the four Gospels. And it's very evident that Matthew had Mark available to him as well in writing. And so what John does is he gives us some historical markers along the way so we can correlate the Gospels, but he gives us different information. His information, for example, of the night of Christ's arrest is, is huge, chapters of it, compared to just a few paragraphs in the other Gospels. He wants to take this, he wants to just explode this period, these few hours, the last hours the disciples really had with Jesus before his crucifixion. He wants to really just tell you what Jesus taught them. And, and that's where we have John 14, 15, 16, his prayer for the disciples, his prayer for us, um, all of the, the preparation of who he is. John also wants to deal with some doctrinal issues along the way. But when we get to the crucifixion, there's one thing John pointedly wants to make sure we get right. So let's read through a few of these. And uh, you're studying Mark in Sunday school. And uh, so we're going to not use Mark. I don't want to have a problem there. <laughs> and uh, we want to just put this together a little bit. Okay, so let's go to ver uh, Matthew chapter 26. Verse 17, it says, Now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. So we're not talking about the day Christ died. We're talking about the day before now, what does Matthew communicate to us? What day is that? Well, the day is listed as the first day of unleavened bread. Now, you have some words added. Do you notice the italicized words? Do you all have those italicized words in your Bible? Yes? No? Yes. The italicized words are 
day of the feast of unleavened bread. Those are added. All, any words italicized have been added to try to clarify the translation. So what it literally says is now the first, on the first of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus. So we know that Jesus Christ is preparing to eat the Passover, um, and that was not just, there was not just one particular day you ate the Passover. There were several options available to you. Even back then, there was some discussion about when it was, uh, a little bit different than our discussion that we've had here. But uh, uh, it was obviously not the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but it was the first of unleavened bread. And so the Passover was an unleavened bread day, but it was not part of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay, why? Well, um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread happens the day following Passover. And you're supposed to eat unleavened bread for those eight days. But Passover itself is also a day where you eat unleavened bread because the bread of haste, it was the Passover, right? It was the feast that they ate before they were removed from Egypt. And so it was also a day that you ate unleavened bread as part of the Passover meal. You didn't have to eat it all day, but the Passover meal was an unleavened bread meal, okay? And so it was the beginning. And so most, most Jewish households, because that Passover meal set up a whole week of unleavened bread. It was better to take out the leaven then and not have leaven in your house. Then you don't have to worry about it throughout Passover. And you can just have unleavened bread for nine days instead of eight, instead of having it for one meal, and then have leaven, and then have unleavened bread that next evening and have just unleavened bread. So it became part of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but it wasn't part of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Does that make sense to you? Am I muddied it all up? So you have two different events, Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So you have the eight-day feast following the Passover day. And so the, and this is kind of technical, but we want to get through this to understand the distinctions here. So we, th this first day of Unleavened Bread would have been, or the first of the unleavened bread, is they're preparing for the Passover meal. Now, when does the Passover meal happen? Anybody know? What time of day? Sunset. Okay, sunset starts the Passover. So what day is this? What day is this? They're looking for Christ to, to eat the Passover. So what day is it? It's the day before the Passover. So while Matthew is saying it's the day of unleavened bread, the first of unleavened bread, he is preparing for the first meal of unleavened bread. The word day isn't in there. It's not in the Greek. There is no word day. It is the first of unleavened bread. We are preparing to start the first meal of unleavened bread, which is the Passover meal. So we're actually the day before Passover. Okay? And so... He's going to eat his Passover meal that evening, and it is that evening that he's going to then be arrested. It is that night he's going to be tried among the Jews. It's the next morning, early in the morning, he's going to be brought before who? Pilate, Herod, Pilate, right? And it's 
that day. So what day is he crucified here? Passover, during the day. And he's being taken down before the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So by their inclusion of this, these words, day of the feast of, they bring a lot of problems, don't they? Now it sounds like, well, the Passover is over, over. Now we're in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the next day, but it's obvious that Jesus wants to eat the Passover with them, and that that is marking his sacrifice. He says, this is my body, which is being shed, which is being broken for you. This is my blood that's being shed for you. And so he's marking this day. This is the day it's going to happen. It starts in the evening, sunset. It'll go to the next sunset. Now, uh, that's the expectation. That's the anticipation of what's coming. So let's go to John and look at what John has to say about this comparable time. And we're going to skip a little bit of Luke here. Because John makes a very strong statement about this. Okay, it's uh, in chapter 19, verse 31. I was way too early in the chapter. Verse 31 says, Therefore, because Jesus has already been is on the cross, okay, it's, he's on the cross, dying, because it was the preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate their legs might be broken and they might be taken away. So this is the key verse. This is a corrective verse by John to address a misconception that he saw being brought out of the other Gospels. I'm convinced that's why he asked, adds this parenthetical phrase. So is the preparation day. Now we don't often think of Passover, the day of Passover, being a preparation day. Uh, and a lot of people say, well, this means it's Friday because Friday is preparation day for the Sabbath. But what John does, he tells us something extra. He says, this is a high Sabbath. This is a high Sabbath day. What does that mean? It's not the normal Sabbath. This is a high Sabbath, which tells us that we're dealing with a, the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The first day of the Feast of Unleavened Brethren is a Sabbath. doesn't matter what day of the week it lands on, it is a Sabbath day. The last day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a Sabbath day. No matter what day of the week it lands on. So during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you potentially always, you'll always have at least three Sabbaths. Even if the first day lands on a Sabbath, no, if it lands on a Sabbath, it'd be even seven. Then it would, so two minimum, but you could have, most often you're going to have three Sabbaths in one week. Because you're going to have the first day of Feast of Unleavened Bread, your normal Sabbath day, uh, which we have the week of Christ's death, hence we was in the cross three days and three nights, and then the last of it, and then you'd have another normal Sabbath following that. So you have a lot of Sabbaths packed into this, but Passover is not a Sabbath day. So you have the Feast of Passover, and all the next day is a preparation day for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is a week-long celebration that starts off with the Sabbath and ends with the Sabbath. So if we come to this, we think, well, the Sabbath is a Saturday, which we know it's not always a Saturday, is it? Right? Right? You guys know that from our previous studies. It's, it, it's, 
in, in our Julian and in our uh, Gregorian calendars, Saturday is not the Sabbath. Okay, we can call it that all we want, but it's not. Um, not the biblical Sabbath, because it's tied to the new moon, not the solar. And so it changes every month. So um, what John here does is said, listen, this, this preparation day, getting ready for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the next day is going to be a Sabbath, but it's not a normal Sabbath. It's a high Sabbath. And so what we have is Passover, the night of Passover of Christ uh, instituting the Lord's table. We then have Passover day following that in which we have the rest and crucifixion of Jesus. They need to get that crucifixion completed by sunset because of the high Sabbath of the Feast of Unleavened Bread followed by the normal Sabbath which is, a, which is the seventh day of the week, and that forms, that gives you two days between two full days before the resurrection happens. So why is this important? What day of the week Christ died on? Well, if there's a Sabbath followed by a Sabbath and then the first day of the week, if we back that up, what, Christ, what day was Christ killed on? He rose the first day of the week. There's a Sabbath. High Sabbath, Passover day. What did he die on? What day of the week? Resurrected the first day of the week. It's Thursday, right? So Saturday is the normal Sabbath. High Sabbath is Friday. Christ had, the Passover day had to be on Thursday, which is when Christ died. So if Christ died on Thursday, and by the way, the people who want to reject that and go to Luke... Um, again, Luke is coming from a Greek perspective and not from a Hebrew perspective and talking to someone who is not accustomed to all these things about the, about the Jewish calendar, talking to a Greek person. Um, we have this presentation, and what we have to do is, is what I've read a lot of people's writings on this in the last few weeks in preparation for this, and that defend the Friday death. And, and some of them say, well, when it says that he's going to, when Jesus Christ predicted that he was going to be three days and three nights in the earth, he meant Jerusalem, not being buried for three days and three nights. The sign of Jonah, right? That's the sign of Jonah, three days and three nights. It's Jonah was three, nights and three, three days and three nights in the belly of fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And they said, well, the heart of the earth isn't a grave, it's Jerusalem. And once Jesus entered Jerusalem, he was never going to leave Jerusalem again. So he was, and so that's why they incorporate the trial, the arrest and trial. But the problem is, when did the arrest start? At night. And word order matters incredibly important throughout this whole study of time and season, right? When was the create order? It was evening and it was... Morning, not morning and evening, as evening and morning the first day. And so what did Jesus say was the sign of Jonah? He will spend three days and three nights, not three nights and three days in the heart of the earth. So I saw seeing guys try to spiritualize that and say he's not really talking about a burial. And so they include the death as one of the days that he's going to be in the heart of the earth because he's in Jerusalem. And and therefore Friday, Saturday, and Sunday are three days and three nights. Um doesn't work because uh, it started in the night. It would be three nights and three days. And we still don't, 
we start right. Because then we don't have any Sunday, do we? Because if it's three nights and three days, if we have Friday night, that's when he's arrested, or Thursday night, Friday, Friday night, Saturday, you don't, you don't, let's see, one, two, three, you don't have the third day, right? Because he rose before it was day on Sunday, before the sun came up, he had rose, right? So now you, you miss Sunday. You have three nights, but you only have two days. The other way gives you three days, but only two nights. You say, well, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, but you don't have the day. So Christ's death on Thursday is important because now it begins to narrow down which years we're going to select from. Because we know we are looking for a year where Passover fell on a Thursday. Really, Wednesday night to us, to Thursday. Now, to back that up and try to figure that out, um, we have to take into effect the the change from our Gregorian calendar to the Julian calendar that they were under during the biblical time of Jesus. So we have to do that shift, and there's plenty of computer programs that will do that for you, and they'll say, we made this shift because of this. And you'll end up with a few choices. So I have the choices right here. There are five choices. If you believe Jesus died on a Friday, your choice is 227 A.D., 30 A.D., or 33 A.D. Those are your three choices. If you believe he died on Thursday, you now only have two choices. 28 A.D. and 31 A.D. Okay, that's your two choices. So that's why it matters what day of the week and also when the Passover is. Now, I switched these. These are not the dates you'll find online because these are dates that correlate not to the dark moon, but to the full moon. So these dates I have are different than what you'll see on an official uh, calendar because they're still going off the new moon, the dark moon. And so they have their dates, which aren't very different from these because it's two weeks between them. There's just two weeks difference and the moon phase, so it's just a two-week thing. So some of these years are the same. For example, the Friday years are all the same. And I think the Thursday ones are too. So we're going off a full moon. So I have May 13th or May 10th, May 13th of 28 AD, May 10th of 31 AD, there would have been a Passover on a Thursday. So when we looked at our list last week, yes. Ah, okay, thank you. Very good. So every one of the writers of the Gospels are living when? First century, okay? First century, when are they writing? They're writing in what language? Greek. They're writing under what empire? And they're writing according to what calendar? The Julian calendar, okay? But they operated everything under the Julian calendar, okay? And this is part of why we've lost the Old Testament Jewish dates is because of the influence of the Jews in exile in Babylon. And then, after the destruction of the temple, we lost a lot of information after 70 AD that wasn't really uh, revived, sort of, 
until much later because the, the country of Israel disappeared, right? The Jews were scattered everywhere. And so we lost a lot of the contact. But the New Testament writers were writing in Greek to an audience that was, set, that was using the Roman calendar in terms of days of the week. And that's why when you go backwards, you can't just say, well, I'm going to back it up from today. No, you have to make a transition to get from the Gregorian to the Julian calendar. But every one of our gospel writers say, Jesus Christ rose the first day of the week. And they're writing that in Greek. Two, even for Luke, to Greek-speaking Greek person. The first day of the week was universally celebrating the Roman Empire on the first day of the week. It wasn't correlated to the Jewish first day of the week. Does that make sense to you? Right, and, and that's part of that coming back out of, out of the exile is that they're under a calendar that isn't really their own. And when we, so we're looking for a date that correlates. So if, if Passover lands on the first day of the week, we can throw that out because, no, Jesus rose the first day of the week in the Julian calendar. And so that's what we're looking at. And that's why we say we can't overlap calendars, and, but these are New Testament writers are writing in Greek to a Greek culture that is under the Julian calendar. And they're not really celebrating according to um, the G Israelite calendar, and they really uh, don't give any evidence that they are giving us a different calendar than the Julian calendar, first day of the week. Is it possible they're talking about the Jewish first day of the week? Um, it is possible. But given, even given that, um, this would be the Jewish first day of the week too. Okay, Because of the correlation of the Passover to the Sabbath, right? And so, no, because the Passover would always be the 14th of Nisan, right? And the 15th of Nisan is always the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And... Uh, the 14th of Nisan is always a Sabbath in terms of um, seven days from the full moon. Okay, So a lot of the Israelite concept of Sabbath was lost. And maybe that's why Jesus Christ wasn't so committed to it during, the, <laughs> during his ministry. It was lost during the exile in Babylon. Passover is the 14th of Nisan. Right, 15th. So the next day is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, 15th of Nisan, every year. So that's based off the moon cycles. But they're telling us it's the first day of the week, and we make the, maybe we're making a wrong sum, but the assumption has always been that they're talking to a Jewish or to a Greek audience under a Julian calendar, and so we're looking at the first day of the week, which, again, probably isn't what our Sunday is, and we'll talk about the transition from Julian to Gregory next week because we're going to finish it off next week, and what, that, what happened, but it didn't affect the days of the week. It only affected the dates. Okay, does that make sense? It doesn't make sense to you, but we'll write it down next week. So they kept the same day of the week, so they just changed the date. So you went from October 1st to October 15th, you skipped like 13 days, 14 days, something like that. That's what happened when they switched calendars. So today's Monday, October 1st. Tomorrow is Tuesday, October 16th. 
or whatever it was. I'll, I'll have those dates for you. So that's how they switched it, the calendars. They just made those days disappear. Okay? So the days of the week stayed the same. Okay? And so the day of the week we're okay on, first day of the week. So then we back up. So we're looking for Thursday. So now we have specific dates. And we correlate that with what we knew in the Old Testament in their prophetic utterances. We do this with, the, with what we know from the Gospels. And we come down, and now we're down to uh, a couple of dates, really. If you're talking about a Thursday death, you've got two options. Uh, within the time period of when Pilate is in, we know when Pilate was there. Uh, they, they, for many, many years, they said Pilate never existed. In your lifetime, that has changed. Because in Caesarea by the sea, uh, they dug up a stone that had Pilate's name on it, and suddenly we knew when Pilate reigned. And now we have all the information about Pilate, of when he was in Jerusalem. So we know the years, so he, we know when Pilate was there, Herod was there, so we have a span. And these are the two dates, if he died on Thursday, that are available in that span. He either died on the 28th uh, year A.D. or the 31st year A.D. And, uh, and this correlates really well. What date did we come up with last week? That was his birth, for his death. Around 27 A.D. So now we're at 28 or 31. All right, so we're, we're right in the same area. Again, the date that we have for the announcement of, the, of rebuilding the temple under Zerubbabel and, and the book of Ezra uh, that Daniel foresees and is foretold. Uh, points us to this time period. So we're right here in our midst. We have these five dates, two on Thursday, three on Friday. Uh, if you want to uh, persevere in that, the 27th, the 30th, the 33rd. Now, Luke does tell us that Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry, which would make 27 less likely, which would move us to 31. That would shift us for Thursday death to 31 A.D. And if 31 A.D. is D-Day, should have been day one of the new calendar, should have been the marker of the years. Um, we talked about being about 26 to 30 years off. 31 A.D. should have been, if that was his death, uh, which would seem about right with what the information we have from the New Testament, from Luke, from Matthew, from John, uh, we're looking at either 28 or 31, probably 31. Uh, the Bible says that, well, you're, there's one more week of God dealing with Israel left. There's seven more years of God dealing with Israel that the church won't be a part of. And that's called the day of Jacob's trouble, uh, the day of God's wrath. Um, you know it as the term tribulation, but the Bible doesn't call it that. Um, it is the day of the Lord. So the seven years that God is dealing primarily with Israel, which means the church has to be gone. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But um, So we're looking at, well, if we're looking at 2,000 years, that theory that we talked about last week, we're looking at 31. Now we're looking at 2031 minus 7. Uh, you're looking at 20, help me, 2024 uh, is kind of our goal 
And so we're looking right in this range. We're we are, um, coming up on it. And could it go to 2031? Sure. Church age could go to 2031. But what we're seeing right now is evidence that it could happen really a lot sooner. Uh, I don't think it's going to last that long. It could. But uh, so when we look at Christ's death, um, we need to celebrate, I think, a Thursday. It is in keeping with the spirit of literal interpretation of Scripture that Jesus, we believe, used. And that is that there's going to be three days and three nights, which means Christ is going to rise again before the fourth day. And that's what he did. So he didn't go three nights and three days. He went three days and three nights. So he died during the day. Thursday would have been day one. Uh, then a night. Friday, day two. Then a night. And then Saturday, day three. And then a night. And he arose before daylight on the first day of the week. Okay? And so, um, again, you'll have people with other opinions. There, there's plenty of opinions on Facebook. But John, I think, uh, is a higher, uh, because he wants to be very specific, and while Luke uses terminology, he uses a word that is often associated with Friday. Um, he uses the same concept of preparation, but he uses a Greek word that is usually associated with Friday in its normal usage. But there's, you're really forcing normal into a scriptural passage and ignoring all these others, particularly the Gospel of John is what you'd have to ignore. Where it says this is a different Sabbath than the normal Sabbath. This is a high Sabbath. All right. Again, even if it's on a Friday, you're still down to either 27, 30, or 33 as your choices. And again, you're still right there. But what we want to focus on is that our calendars are off because we're going off of Christ's birth instead of Christ's death. And that should have been the calendar cut when we introduced this, the year of our Lord. That's what A.D. means, Anno Dominia, the year of our Lord. It should have been derived, derived from his death. And so um, all those people are all excited about the year 2000. It's been 2,000 years since Christ, so he's going to come back. And I've been hearing that my entire adult life. In 1980s, when I was in college... Christ's going to come back by the year 2000 because, but it, they marked from the wrong date. All the prophecy teachers were teaching that. Um, certainly by 2012, by 2010, 29, I heard, I've heard all those growing up. Well, not growing up, as a grown up, all of those dates. Um, built upon concepts of that prophecy and that principle of seven years is a, a day is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. And uh, it doesn't work because they went off the wrong date. They went off his birth instead of his death. And so we're looking at these kinds of dates. We realize we're getting close to the 2,000-year anniversary of the church um, that is coming up upon us in just a few years. Uh, at the most, uh, you're talking about uh, 10 years at the most is the 2,000th anniversary of the church. Um, possible, well, not the most. 2,000 years of, more than likely uh, would be celebrated in about 10 years. And so we have an expectation there 
of something big happening and then the last week, the last seven years, God dealing with Israel. So these are exciting times we live in. That a lot of this has come forward that we didn't have. Even like the information about Pilate that has affirmed the scriptures. Okay, any questions? Yeah, that's another argument you'll hear. And they will say, well, Friday, dying on Friday includes Thursday night somehow. Because it's the same 24-hour period. And so that, so, but again, if that's the case, you're starting out with a night. You're starting out Thursday night, Friday, and then um, Friday night, Saturday, and, so, and you're still missing something, aren't you? I don't know how you can get three days and three nights out of a Friday afternoon death. You just, it's remarkable how they have gymnastically done that. But remember, that this is one of the evidences Daniel warns you. He will try to change times and law is what we are confronted with. And it is phenomenal how well Satan has been able to hide the dates of, even with all the efforts of the gospel writers, of the Old Testament writers, uh, to just shroud them in secrecy. It's incredible, especially in these last days when we have so much information available to us that wasn't available to us 60 years ago. 60 years ago, a lot of this evidence, archaeological evidence and other writings and cuneiforms weren't available to us. We have an enormous amount of information available to us, and yet it's still shrouded. It's kind of like the crossing of the Red Sea. We know where that's really been for at least 50 years. At least since the 70s, we know where it really happened, at Nueva Beach, across the Gulf of Aqaba, not the, uh, not the Suez. It wasn't the Suez they crossed, it was Aqaba. Both are part of the Red Sea, two fingers sticking up, Suez, Aqaba. We, and there's, we've known this evidence, but you can't change it in the Christendom can't change it in the maps of your Bible, that they crossed into Arabia and not into the Sinai Peninsula. That is not the Sinai Peninsula, but we've known that for 50 years. My entire adult life we've known that, and yet we can't get that changed in Christendom. Because these things are just, there's a, a deception that is out there that the people of God just um, allow to persist. We'll put it like that. We allow it to persist. The people that print your Bibles and won't change the maps um, because we know, we know that it wasn't there. We know where it was. It was off Nueva Beach, crossing the Red Sea. The same thing with the death of Christ, the birth of Christ. We have so much technology now. We can track things so closely, especially astrologically with the sun, moon, stars. We have computer models that can take us back there and tell us exactly the dates. Um, this stuff is all built upon that is modern astronomy has enabled all of this. That our computers just take us back there and tell us, well, here's the dates. Um, that wasn't available until recently, right? Until your lifetime. Uh, what does Daniel say will happen in the last days? Knowledge will increase. Knowledge will increase. Okay, and so that's what we're seeing. We're seeing a great increase in knowledge, but that doesn't equal getting the truth. There's a lot more information available, but what they're doing with it 
isn't uh, right in terms of its handling of God's word in multiple areas. And so you are living in a generation that is, that is privileged to have access to a lot more information than I had at your age. Well, some of you are older than me. Uh, that we had at when we were in our 20s, 30s. Boy, you're getting old. We didn't have that. And so just in these last 25, 30 years, we really have gotten access to these things. Those apps that you take for granted on your phone, especially in astronomy and things like that, didn't, those weren't available to us. Um, and yet, we have some incredible work by men who have tracked it painstakingly um, by hand to come up with a pretty close date to Christ's birth. I mean, he was only three years off, right? Well, two years, well, because there's no year zero, so. Any questions? Any others? All right, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your love. Thank you for the confidence we can have in your scriptures. And Lord, we know there's a lot of ideas, and this isn't critical stuff that we live and die on, but Lord, it's exciting for us to see your promises are kept, your prophecies are fulfilled, your promises will be kept, and your prophecies will be fulfilled. And Lord, we thank you for that. Our hope is in you. We thank you for the information that is coming forward that we can access today. And yet we see it hasn't added wisdom to people. It hasn't added the fear of the Lord in people's minds. If anything, has turned them away. And Lord, we pray that we might not be of that number, but that we might see this access to this kind of knowledge as an opportunity to uh, shore up our understanding of your word and to clarify it. But Lord, our confidence is in your word. And though um, all men tell us lies, we know that you will tell us the truth. And Lord, we pray that uh, we might trust in you above all. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.